it says remember to just remember. I want to say happy new year to everybody who's listening. And let's make this a great 2024. Um, I guess you all, many of you have probably been um, paying attention to what's going on out in the world as far as this T.D. Jakes stuff. It's really, really crazy. And I th- it's probably not going to get any better in 2024. So uh, I would suggest anybody that's into this, into these preachers, into these celebrities, buckle your seatbelts because I think it's a lot that's getting ready to come out. And um, a lot of it uh, is going to devastate people. People already are devastated by what's going on with this T.D. Jake stuff. But um, it really doesn't make sense to be putting these people up on pedestals. They're just people, and some of them are not good people. Just because somebody has a church and is a preacher, we don't know what type of life they live when they leave the pulpit, and yet they're trying to tell us how to live. Um, I'm happy to not be involved in any type of uh, religious any type of religion I just put it like that you know I believe in being a spiritual person but um as far as giving all this money to these preachers who are not doing anything to really help us I I don't believe in that and I just would love to see more people wake up to the facts that you have everything you need inside of yourself you do not need to go to a preacher do not need to pay these preachers. You do not need to prop up their lifestyles. You don't need to make their dreams come true. Make your dreams come true. Do something for yourself. Do something for your community. Do something for your family. And uh, that's all I have to say about that. But um, uh, the topic that I'm talking about today is uh, one that I've become quite fascinated with. Um, a lot of what's in here uh, beyond the biography of the person I'm talking about is uh, is conjecture. Um, I have my opinion about it, but it's just my opinion. <clears throat> and you can take it or leave it. But um, anybody remember Teresa Graves or have any type of familiarity with her? Um, you know, she was... <clears throat> She was um, known and is probably best remembered, I guess, for her work on the 1970s television series, Get Christy Love. She was a tall, dark, and beautiful woman. Um, she was the first black woman to star in an hour-long drama uh, coming to prominence in Hollywood's black exploitation era. Um, this accomplishment is not to be confused with the accomplishments of Nichelle Nichols or Diane Carroll. Some people might remember her from the sketch comedy show Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In. She was a gifted singer and she recorded one album. Uh, She has some musical performances that can be seen on YouTube. Uh, She was just a beautiful lady and a um, talented and charismatic all-around performer. Uh, But a little bit of mystery surrounds her. She basically dropped out of the spotlight following the cancellation of Get Christy Love reportedly to spend more time studying her Jehovah's Witness faith and to care for her mother. Um, 
1983, she officially left show business behind. And nothing was really heard of her again until the sad announcement came of her passing away on October 10th, 2002 in a house fire at the age of just 54. Um, she was born on January 10th, 1948 in Houston, Texas. Her father was Marshall Graves and her mother was Willie Graves. She had two brothers, A.D. and Manny. She was five years old when her family moved to Los Angeles. At some point, she acquired the nickname Tootie. She maintained a 4.0 grade point average in high school, was active in glee club and drama, and was voted most talented in her high school's graduating class. She loved school and said that if she was too sick to go, she would actually cry. In 1966, she graduated from Washington High School in Texas and was planning to attend USC on a music scholarship when she came to the attention of George Wilkins and began singing with the group that he had co-founded, the Doodle Town Pipers. The Doodle Town Pipers, aka the new Doodle Town Pipers, was basically a choir consisting of black and white members, men and women. They sang easy listening music and were criticized for being very squeaky clean. The 30-member group made their television debut on The Red Skeleton Show. By the time they opened for George Burns at Nevada's Golden Nugget, they had dwindled down to 20 members. They toured all over America, Canada, and Puerto Rico, and had two television shows. One was a replacement show for the Smothers Brothers during the summer of 1967. The show was called Our Place, and Ed Sullivan produced it. They also did six-hour-long TV specials. After three years, Teresa left the Doodle Town Pipers. Though she considered herself to be a singer first and foremost, the 5-foot-10-inch beauty turned her attention to acting, becoming a regular on a spinoff of the sketch comedy show Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In called Turn On. The show was canceled after one episode. Teresa then joined Laugh-In itself, her comedic timing, musical talent, beauty, and charming personality serving her well. She traveled to Southeast Asia with Bob Hope's USO in 1969. She recorded an album in 1970, self-titled Teresa Graves. In March of 1971, she memorably performed a medley of the Supremes and Temptations, I'm Gonna Make You Love Me, and Aretha Franklin's Respect on The Ed Sullivan Show, displaying her powerful voice and engaging stage presence. That same year, she appeared opposite John Amos on the short-lived television comedy show, The Funny Side. She was in a made-for-TV movie called Keeping Up with the Joneses. She appeared in an episode each of The New Dick Van Dyke Show and The Rookies. Teresa Graves made forays into feature films, such as The Man Bolt opposite Fred Williamson, Black Eye, and In Vampira, also known as Old Dracula, opposite David Niven, where she played Countess Vampira, one of the first black vampires of the big screen. She began studying the Bible in earnest while she was filming with her cousin and was converted into the Jehovah's Witness faith. In 1974, two major things happened. Teresa was officially baptized as a Jehovah's Witness, and she was cast in the most important role of her career as Christy Love, the badass lady detective. First, there was the TV movie pilot. It did so well that it was picked up as a full-fledged series. 
It was based on an actual crime novel series written by police officer turned author Dorothy Unak. Her lead character was named Christy Opera. She was white and based in New York. Christy Love was black and based in Los Angeles. Get Christy Love used the services of an actual female police officer from the NYPD as technical advisor. Teresa Graves became the first black actress to lead an hour-long crime drama. Some people don't consider it a drama because it's kind of camp. This was, of course, during the black exploitation era when we also had Pam Greer on the big screen as Coffee and Foxy Brown and Tamara Dobson as Cleopatra Jones. Cicely Tyson was first approached to play Christy Love, but she was filming the autobiography of Miss Jane Pittman, and she just wasn't right for the part. Not to be sizes nor ages, but Cicely Tyson was a bit too petite for the part at 5'3", and she was a little mature for it, too. Remember, Cicely Tyson was a lot older than we had been led to believe. Teresa Graves physically was more in line with the 5'9"-inch Pam Greer and the 6'2"-inch Tamara Dobson. Like Cleopatra Jones, Christy loved new martial arts, and Love was described in a November 1974 issue of Jet Magazine as, quote, television's most delightful detective, the epitome of a tough lady cop with more feminine features than Venus, end of quote. She even had a catchphrase, you're under arrest, sugar. In the series, there's more emphasis on the lovely detective's experiences as a woman than as a black woman, although the N-word does make an appearance in the pilot, but not in the actual series. Yet Christy Love went toe-to-toe with Police Woman, which starred Angie Dickinson. The Jehovah's Witness beliefs of Teresa Graves caused her to take a hard line when it came to what she would or wouldn't do as Detective Love. This is an undercover police officer we're talking about, but Teresa didn't want Christy to lie or do anything sexual or violent. She said that Jehovah was first in her life and that work was secondary. The sexual tension between Christy and her boss was turned down, was toned down. In fact, he was replaced, and she would have three different bosses before it was all over, in fact. But those stipulations severely limited the action on this police drama. Plus, there were numerous turnovers behind the scenes, the writing began to suffer, and the ratings took a dip. The show was canceled in 1975. Teresa Graves would be nominated for a Golden Globe Award in 1975 for Best Actress in a TV Drama. She actually won a T.P. Dioro, a Spanish award, in 1977 for Best Foreign Actress. Teresa was in a position to take the entertainment industry by storm. Initially, she used her celebrity to bring awareness to issues that were important to her. Numerous Jehovah's Witnesses had been killed in Malawi in the late 1960s because they would not endorse the Malawi Congress Party under the one-party rule of Hastings Kamuzu Banda. Teresa helped bring awareness to this crisis, but she slowly extricated herself from show business, ostensibly to to focus on being a full-time Jehovah's Witness minister and to care for her ailing mother. She got married in 1977, although some reports say that she never married. It's also been reported that Teresa had some kind of order of protection against this man. The childless couple divorced in 1983, the same year that Teresa officially severed all ties to show business, the rest of her life spent in anonymity and in ministry. 
Just after midnight on October 10, 2002, the home of Teresa Graves caught fire, reportedly due to a faulty space heater. Teresa was found unconscious in her bedroom. She had sustained some burns and smoke inhalation and passed away after being rushed to the hospital. Her mother, Willie, suffered a stroke during the fire, but she survived, although she passed away three years later. The, <clears throat> the memorial service for Teresa Graves was held on October 16, 2002. Among those in attendance were her former Laugh-In co-stars Ruth Buzzy, Henry Gibson, and Gary Owens. She was cremated. After Teresa's death, her neighbors were shocked to learn that she had had this glamorous show business past. She never discussed it with anyone and kept the past in the past. Now, 1983 is the year that Teresa officially left show business, as we said. It's also the year that someone else made her way onto the world stage, beginning with an appearance on the Merv Griffin Show. That would be Whitney Houston. And with each new appearance, it was noticeable that Whitney Houston, who was working as a fashion model at this time, bore a striking resemblance to that actress, singer, and model whose heyday was in the 1970s, Miss Teresa Graves, to the point that people could think that the two were related somehow. But Clive Davis, the president of the record label that Whitney Houston was signed to, Arista Records, was trotting her out, exploiting her family connections as the daughter of gospel and R&B singer Sissy Houston, cousin of legendary Dionne Warwick and her sister Dee Dee Warwick, and also a distant cousin of op operatic diva Leontine Price, and even the godchild of Aretha Franklin. Teresa Graves' name was never mentioned as a relative of Whitney Houston. The public accepted what they were told, what choice did they have? It would have been easier for people to forget about Whitney looking like Teresa if they hadn't noticed that Whitney didn't particularly resemble her mother or her brothers or Dionne Warwick. She looked a little bit like her father, but this look didn't answer all the questions that Whitney's look raised. And there was a lot of emphasis on Whitney's looks. Her beauty was always being emphasized along with her exceptional voice a voice that we were told was an inheritance from this glorious lineage. But was there some deception going on? As thoughts of Teresa Graves faded from the minds of the public, the career of Whitney Houston took off like a rocket on steroids. She was winning awards and breaking billboard chart records right, left, and center, becoming one of the greatest pop music divas of all time. We get to the late 1990s, and it's announced that Whitney Houston, by this time a bankable movie star, is interested in bringing Get Christy Love to the big screen. Again, the resemblance between the two women is raised with people wondering if Teresa and Whitney are related, or is this just a coincidence? Everyone has a twin, right? Whitney's version of Get Christy Love never made it to the big screen. People forgot about it again. Then a few years ago, with Whitney dying an untimely, mysterious death and people gaining access to episodes of Get Christy Love online, talk of a Teresa Whitney connection was revived. The fact that there were so many documentaries and biopics coming out dissecting Whitney's life from various angles kept her from going away. That and the fact that she was universally loved and missed. Teresa Graves' laugh-in performances were receiving fresh once-overs too. 
it became clear to a new generation of fans that Teresa Graves and Whitney Houston had more than a passing resemblance. And the resemblance went beyond their facial features. YouTube and TikTok are filled with internet sleuths, amateur geneticists, and even tarot readers who believe in this theory because the similarities are simply too strong. At one point, I recall visiting the Teresa Graves Wikipedia page and seeing an interesting paragraph which made the bold claim that Teresa Graves gave birth to a baby girl in 1963 when she was 15 years old and the child was said to have been fathered by an entertainment manager named John Houston. This is the name of Whitney Houston's father for those who don't know and Whitney Houston was born on August 9, 1963. Were we to assume that this John Houston was a different person from the man we know as the father of Whitney Houston? Were we also to assume that Teresa's alleged child, who she said to have given up, was someone other than Whitney Houston? Many people noticed this paragraph as the speculation grew. Then, one day, that paragraph mysteriously disappeared. Around the same time, John Houston's entire Wikipedia page is said to have disappeared. I didn't even know that he had a Wikipedia page. But those of us who saw that paragraph on Teresa's page remember it. Are we to assume that it was some kind of Mandela effect? Granted, members of the general public can add information to Wikipedia pages. Is that what happened in this case, or was this actual information that some person erased from the internet? We didn't know anything about John Houston, who was 42 years old at the time of Whitney's conception, crossing paths with the then 14-year-old Teresa Graves, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. In fact, if they are the parents of Whitney Houston, it had to have happened. But how? Did Teresa begin her singing career, perhaps before her time with the Doodletown Pipers, and met John Houston under circumstances related to singing? Because John Houston was involved in a number of vocations in the early 1960s, including managing the music career of Emily Drinkard, a.k.a. Sissy Houston. The timeline of when Emily Drinkard became Emily Houston, or Sissy Houston, further complicates matters. She was also Emily Garland in between. If you look into her life, you will find contradictions and mystery. But we cannot talk about Teresa Graves as it relates to Whitney Houston without talking about Sissy, because she is the woman that the world has been told was Whitney Houston's mother in every way. Emily Drinkard is the birth name of Sissy Houston, who was born September 30, 1933 in New Jersey and was the youngest of eight children. She started her career singing gospel music at the age of five with three of her siblings, Anne, Larry, and Nikki, called the Drinkard Four. Two more siblings, Lee and Marie, joined the group and they changed their name to the Drinkard Singers. Lee was the mother of Dionne Warwick and Dee Dee Warwick. The Drinkard Singers often sang at New Hope Baptist Church. They would go on to record a gospel album called A Joyful Noise in 1958. 1963 was a very busy year in the career of Sissy Houston, possibly the busiest year of her entire career. Under the pseudonym of Cicely Blair, Sissy recorded a song called This Is My Vow. Why did Sissy use a different name when she recorded this tune? It was a secular recording, and she was known as a gospel singer. People who were involved in the church at that time could be very unforgiving when gospel singers dabbled in secular music 
or abandon gospel music completely. Likely, Sissy was attempting to hide her identity from the gospel music world, similarly to how Sam Cooke recorded his first secular song under the name of Dale Cooke. Sissy's song did not become a hit. She also recorded under the names Sissy, that's S-I-S-S-I-E, Houston, and Allison Gray. She appeared on a show called TV Gospel Time that same year with her siblings, making their television debut. During the time that the show was filmed, Sissy Houston should have been about six months pregnant with Whitney, but she shows zero signs of pregnancy, and by the time it aired, which was July of 1963, she would have been about eight months alone. But even with the choir robe she wears in her TV appearance, Sissy clearly sports a flat tummy. This would be less of a big deal if Sissy had not claimed later in interviews that Whitney had been a big baby and that Sissy had been very large when carrying her. We would otherwise maybe just assume she was carrying small. Um, it's also been claimed that Sissy formed her group, The Sweet, Sweet Inspirations, right before she gave birth to Whitney. That seems like an odd time to form a singing group, but this is what Sissy said, and it raises further suspicion in my mind. Now, I'm going to talk about what I know about John and Sissy's life before Whitney, or at least what has been reported. Both John and Sissy, who had a 13-year age difference, were married to other people before they got together. Sissy was married to a man named Freddie Garland from 1955 until 1957. Sissy and Freddie had a son named Gary Garland, also known as Gary Houston, who was born the same year they split up. John was married to a woman named Elsie Hamilton, and they had a son named John III. Sometime in the early 1960s, John and Sissy became a couple. They moved in together. They didn't let John's marriage stop them. Sissy's sisters were appalled that she was living with a married man, but Sissy didn't care. Before long, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son named Michael in August of 1961. If John Houston and Teresa Graves were the biological parents of Whitney Houston, again, I'm reminding you, John was 42 and Teresa was 14 when she was conceived. As, uh, yeah, as I previously stated, yeah. And John was legally married to Elsie, but living with Sissy and their son, Messy. John and Sissy were not married until 1964, and I didn't know that John and Sissy were not married when Whitney was born until after Whitney passed away. It's understandable that they wouldn't want these things to come out, but the truth always comes out sooner or later. I mean, it was embarrassing enough when John Houston was 70 and married Whitney's 29-year-old maid, who was the same age as his son Michael, and who incidentally was mom to a 14-year-old girl that he adopted repeating patterns allegedly. Some people chalk up Teresa and Whitney's facial resemblance, their shared bone structure to coincidence. Is it a coincidence too that they not only have speaking voices that sound alike, but they also share the same cadence and rhythm in terms of their speech patterns? They sing in different styles because Sissy Houston trained Whitney, but the actual singing voices are very similar. Is that a coincidence? Is it a coincidence that they walk and carry themselves the same way? That they both shine in the same way when singing, acting, modeling, and when attempting to dance? We know neither one of them are great dancers, but yeah. Even if Whitney employed Teresa as a role model, she wouldn't have been able to mimic her so perfectly. 
this stuff is organic. It's the coincidence that they have the same neck, shoulders, and clavicle. That they have the same fingers and hold a microphone in the same way. Even Whitney's daughter, Bobby Christina, who some people think looks solely like her father, Bobby Brown, shares a resemblance to Teresa with absolutely no resemblance to Sissy Houston. Is that a coincidence? Even the untimely deaths, Teresa dying in a strange house fire at age 54, Whitney dying in a bathtub at 48, and Bobby Christina dying months after being found unresponsive in a tub at just 22 sound like a case of things happening in threes, and there's still questions about all three of these deaths, by the way. If Teresa Graves birthed Whitney Houston, did Whitney know it? If so, when did she find this out? Whitney famously, or infamously, did an interview with Diane Sawyer in late 2002. This was obviously a low point in her life. Everybody thought it was just her father's lawsuit against her and her growing dependency on drugs, but what if she was also grieving Teresa, who had very recently passed away? This seemed to have marked a time when Whitney backed away from John and Sissy. Sissy and Whitney always came across to me like teacher and student. Sissy seemed extremely controlling of Whitney, and they just never seemed to have much in the way of mother-daughter chemistry. She even admitted, Sissy admitted, that she couldn't accept Whitney had Whitney been gay, and this was after Whitney's death. Sissy didn't appear to have any kind of bond with Whitney's only child, Bobby Christina, either. Whitney always referred to Bobby Christina as Chrissy. Was this in part because Bobby Christina was named after Christy Love? And her father, Bobby, of course? Maybe it's just another coincidence. Whitney's one-time BFF, Robin Crawford, revealed in an interview that Whitney, long before embarking on an acting career of her own, felt drawn to the badass female cop, Christy Love. She felt a connection. Some people who refuse to believe that Whitney isn't blood related to Sissy but also won't ignore Whitney and Teresa's strong resemblance have put out the, the theory that Sissy is the mother of Teresa Graves and gave birth to Teresa at 15. That would make Teresa and Whitney sisters or half-sisters, I guess, and it would mean that Sissy has two daughters who look like each other but don't look like Sissy. No word on who Teresa's father is supposed to be. Then there's the person I will call Hat Girl. I first saw a picture of her on Instagram, and she was identified then as the grandmother of John Houston, his father's mother, who some people thought looked a lot like Whitney because people are always trying to explain why Whitney doesn't favor Sissy. As the Teresa Graves is Whitney Houston's birth mother belief gained traction, this woman was suddenly identified as either the mother or the grandmother, depending on who's telling the story, of Sissy Houston. In the one and only picture I've ever seen of her, she's wearing a hat, hence why I call her Hat Girl. According to some people, Whitney and this woman are identical. I've never seen this woman without the hat, nor from any other angle, because I've only seen one picture of her, as I said. They always find a picture of Whitney in a hat to prove this resemblance because she doesn't look like her at all without the hat. The more I have looked at her picture, the less she looks like Whitney to me. In fact, I would go so far as to say that she kind of looks like a face app picture. Of course, Sissy looks nothing at all like this woman, and this is supposed to be either her mother or grandmother. That's just my opinion, though. In show business, things are rarely what they seem. They are hardly ever black and white, and so much is about public relations. 
if John Houston brought home his baby from a relationship with someone else, he and Sissy would have been like the couple that Denzel Washington and Viola Davis played in the movie Fences. It's all alleged. Maybe it's just a big coincidence. Who knows? I could go on and on about this particular topic, and I might go on and on about it in a future episode, but I'll get off of it for now. Whatever the case, R.I.P. Teresa Graves, R.I.P. Whitney Houston, R.I.P. Bobby Christina. I am Monica. This is Remembering the Misremembered. Happy New Year to you all, and I will see you all soon with more stories.